Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and... As always with our Percolating on Faith series, I have with me Charmaine and Tony Chevala-Smith. Hello, Charmaine. Hello, Tony. Hello. Good to be here with you. Uh, It's so good to see you guys. And um, so today we're doing kind of a little bit of a different type of Percolating on Faith. Uh, We're going to open a new series, if you can believe it. (laughs) Tony and Charmaine might not be doing every one of these podcast in this series, but I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, We're going to be talking about different community of Christ theologians. And uh, this actual podcast is called A Century. Oh, wait, what is it called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Century of Community Christ Theologians. Um, Because some people might say, hey, this is a super small church and, you know, you guys can't have theologians, but (laughs) we do. We do. And we got a lot of them. So, Tony, Charmaine, uh, just because I pointed my finger at the listeners, right? Just now, <laughs> now we have to back that up. So before we jump into that though, so what do we mean exactly when we say theology and what do we mean by a theologian? Because people might have assumptions and they're like completely wrong. So let's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get people on the right track. <laughs> All right. So first, uh, theology and It's a good thing to define because there's really at least two different ways of understanding what theology is. On the one hand, it is a process. It's something that we, that is going somewhere. Theology is the thinking through the, the working with ideas, the tossing them back and forth, the living into them. So there's the theology is this process, this action that we do together. But theology is also, Tony likes to say, it's the process and the product. So so theology is also a set of beliefs and ideas and concepts that that we recognize as having some uh, consistency and having uh, something that holds together. And though that may change, at any given time, an individual or a denomination or a group is likely to have a working theology, a theology of ideas, you know, meaning ideas, those things we hold. So it's the thing that we build and there's the thing that we hold. So theology is both. So Charmaine likes to make a distinction between uh, doing theology, which is the process, and having a theology, yeah, which is the nice, result. I, and oh, I like that one. That's, that's you. Mine. <laughs> I'm quoting you, my dear. Oh, dear. We're quoting each other. We've you been, are adorable. <laughs> we've been together way too long. What do you go for? We quote each other. Hopefully on these podcasts, we never have to wipe anything off each other's faces that we slop on them. <laughs> Well, if you do, that just means you're you've been married for however long. A I long get it. Right. I think it's kind of like you know moms who even when their kids are grown, you know, try to clean their faces. So. <laughs> well, I 
I've definitely done that. Anyway, back to theology. Sorry. Theology. <laughs> so doing theology, Charmaine just described as this process. And and uh, we love we love the d- definition of theology from St. Anselm, that it's faith-seeking understanding. So <clears throat> faith here being we're in some kind of relationship of trust with the ultimate. The seeking is I want to explore. I want to understand. I want to go deeper and deeper into that. Uh, understanding then becomes how do I articulate it, right? So, um, so yeah. So the 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 product is the articulated, the results of of thinking through and seeking. And there's there's so many theologies over the course of Christian history because, well, time doesn't stand still, right? New new context, new experiences, new new situations to uh, reengage. Uh, Christian faith in that in that particular time. So there's there's always and change and development. There's always change and development. And then <clears throat> at some pivotal moments, there's also often a great deal of argument and dissension. And you know, in those moments when new growth is required, that the world has changed mm-hmm. and something has to change. That that's another part of the the doing theology is is there's usually some conflict um, involved. Yeah. Uh, you can actually see that right in the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, different traditions, for example, in the Hebrew Bible, different traditions, in a sense, in an, a conversation or argument with each other about why do things happen the way they, they do? Did Yahweh do it? Did our messing up do it? Do they just happen? Uh, is there... Is guilt transferred from generation to generation, or is it on the individual? So theological argument and dissension, disagreement is present in the Bible. Of course, it's definitely present in the New Testament. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's part of the human process of all this. Um, religion religion does not exist in a vacuum. Uh, that that would be the religion of Hoover, and it's dead because there's nothing there's nothing actually going on there, right? So so Hooverism. <laughs> All right. So theologians, theologians though. <laughs> who is a theologian? All right. So we want to say for this series that we we tend we tend to be somewhat broad and generous when we use the term theologian. We don't. I mean, yeah, Thomas Aquinas was a brilliant theologian. Saint Augustine was a brilliant theologian. Martin Luther was a brilliant theologian. Um, you know, uh, gosh, Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza, brilliant theologian. All these people, in their own way, professionally trained. But anybody who thinks and reflects on how to articulate their faith is acting as a theologian. And so, when we when we start looking at Community of Christ story. We can apply the term theologian to a lot of people, um, and that would be the same in other churches' stories too. Um, there, there are way more theologians active in any given church than just than just the PhD theologians. So, <laughs> so we want to be generous about that. And so, we'll as we look over theologians from the past century or so in Community of Christ, we we want to focus on people who had some kind of enduring contribution or some kind of. Uh, they they were right for their moment in terms of articulating uh, the church's faith at that time. So that, that's how we'll we'll treat the, the term. So as as we go through, um, we'll we'll identify those who've had uh, formal education 
and those who haven't. But uh, to our minds, at least, the formal education does not make someone a better theologian. It might make them a more informed theologian on some pieces, but but it doesn't necessarily make them a more um, authoritative or quality, you know, quality yeah. theologian. We're, we, we, we're kind of egalitarian about that. And um, I think in both of our experiences, we can think of individuals in our, in our personal journeys who didn't have what we would call formal theological training, but who were really significant theological voices to us at a particular moment in our lives. Uh, they, they were able to help us understand the faith in a way that was meaningful at that moment. So that, that qualifies them. So, <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a, a pretty big net that we'll, we'll use uh, in, this, in this series. So, so yes, that's, that's where we're going uh, in this you know, century of community of Christ theologians. So um, this is probably the most important question I'm going to ask all day. Uh, so you would consider Carla Long a theologian too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I thought your answer was. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh. a re- really good one too. Oh, and, really and because she's not only got some educational qualifications, but she also is a practitioner. In- and is humble. humble. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was the most important question I'm going to ask all day. Um, these are lesser important questions. <laughs> right. Okay. Well. So would, it, would you say that like these theologians would have different emphases as they're going through or the same emphases and like, what, is there anything that's consistent mm. in, within them? Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, when we start talking about specific ones, uh, Tony and I were talking about this earlier, it's like, you know, we're looking at uh, people like Marietta Walker who, you know, was, was still actively involved in the, in producing things. And her effect was, um, was even further on from when she was actually writing and, and presenting things, but she was basically from the 18, what do we say? 18, her, 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 I mean, she joins the church in 1865, 60s, 70s so, until like the 1920s. And so that's why we're kind of, she's sneaking in under the line. But um, there's a lot of things that she would have said that we would have said, oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. We don't believe those things anymore. (laughs) And but there were some things that she upheld, um, both in her writing and in how she lived, that have been. And that is um, the idea that that women have something to offer that that uh, women experience the spirit and a sense of call equally to men, um, that that women should have full voice in the church. So there's an, an, egal, an egalitarian part of who she is. Another piece, um, and this would you know take a, a, a more deep study, but she she brought a lot of mainstream, Christian ideas to our wacky little group of people <laughs> and really help to bring, you know, it's like uh, bringing balance in, in materials that she wrote. And she, she wrote, yes, she wrote stuff for children, but she also wrote um, a, com- a compendium. Yeah, she uh, and Henry Stebbins wrote this compendium of the scriptures, kind of a, 
a, a big giant book of proof texts. Yeah. So we should, and and I think you know next in our next podcast we'll talk about Marietta Walker and Fred M. Smith together is because they're kind of in that same, same rough, roughly in that same time period. Um, so she's yeah. she's bringing scholarship. She's um, so there is that that honesty <laughs> that comes with scholarship. Uh, but you know she's living in a time when we were the one true church. And she was going to do her darndest to help lift up that element as well. Um, so that part we might not, you know, that's part that we wouldn't, we would say, yeah, that, that was for its time. It was important. Um, but it's not something that we would promote today. That's not who we are now. But there are some things and mm-hmm. that is language <coughs> about who is Christ. Uh, what mm-hmm. does it mean to follow Christ? You'll see that through her, all of her materials. Um, and again, those other pieces where she challenged the institution um, when it came to the role of women and taking, taking people seriously who might not be white and male. And mm-hmm. so anyhow, so there's those things that, that are coming through it, even though the, the specifics of some of the things she would have promoted or upheld would not be relevant today. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you look in terms of broad themes mm-hmm. uh, and you say the enduring principles, Marietta Walker was a pioneer on the enduring principle of developed disciples to serve. She was deeply engaged in the, the church school movement of the late 1800s that was affecting all kinds of churches, mm-hmm. uh, the Sunday school movement. And and so uh, if we if we use if we look look for enduring principles, we will find our mission, Re- mission initiatives, we will find rep, uh, <clears throat> representations of these in all of these figures, yeah. some more, some less. But yeah. but that's that's where I mean, that's where you can say um, you see the consistent threads through time. That's why they're called enduring principles. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and like with Fred M. Smith, who was the president of the church from about uh, so 1914 to 1914, 1946, 1917, Forty-six, forty-six, nineteen forty-six. Yeah. So, um, he, he, his areas of study were sociology and. Le- oh, he did. He does a PhD in in, in psychology. Psychology. And, and so yeah, so he was up on the latest psychology and sociology of the day in, in the very early nineteen hundreds. And so again. This is still a time when the church is the one true church, and there's several things that he's going to be promoting that that ha- that he's received, but he's also um, very outspoken about the church's need to be involved in causes in in the society yeah. that change the society that that are for the good of all that stand up for workers and a living wage that um, bring justice into everyday life. And so so that's a piece that definitely influenced not only the people in his time, some of whom were like, talking about politics, that's, that's you know, <laughs> separate, separate the, these things out. Um, but he's, he's making those connections about what makes for peace and justice. Uh, as we understood, as we understood it at the time, but it, 
that's consistent and it affected future leaders in the church to start looking wider as to what is it God may be asking us to do, not just to have safe little congregations where we're drawing people in, but that those affect the world. So, uh, you know, when you look at these broad themes, then you begin to see uh, consistent threads through the church's theological history. But when you look, when you, when you take the deep dive, you know, with any given figure in their time, you see how much they are, you know, enmeshed in their context and, and think like people in the context think. And so that's where we find stuff that is not necessarily may, may not, that may not ring true with us today that we say, you know, th- this is the place where we're reading Marietta's mail and it really has nothing to do with us. <laughs> so, so yeah, this is, as we, we do historical theology like this, we're always, we're always thinking about this, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of an integral, integral dialectical relationship between how, how everything they say is embedded in its own time. And yet be, because of the, because of the, the stream of, of thought they're drawing from, they're able to also say things here and there that speak beyond their time, even to us today. So that's one of the things we'll be looking for as we explore different figures. Oh, that's really interesting. I like hearing about that kind of stuff. So, um, do, do people like Marietta Walker and Fred M. Smith, like, do they hang out with God? Do they get these theology that they're learning from the scriptures? Like, where would they, where would they get it? Good point. Uh, the, nobody's theology is dropped from heaven. I hope that doesn't shock anybody. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's heaven came, or nobody's theology came straight from above. Not even Joseph Smith Jr.'s. Joseph Smith Jr.'s theology is especially. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in Joseph's. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff there, but that that we have to give ourselves, uh, take a deep breath on. Um, But no, nobody's theology in the history of Christian thought comes directly from God. It's always a mix of various sources and voices and experiences. And yeah, Carl, if you want to pull up that, we, we, we've used this, uh, People get tired of seeing image before (laughs) in a recent, recent podcast, but these things that we call the four voices of Christian theology are four sources, Uh, scripture, tradition, experience, reason. And every, everybody's theology has all four of these at work in them. Um, Some, some better, some worse, some, you know, for richer, for poorer, Mm. (laughs) but uh, no theology lacks these four. The, the interchange between these four elements. And so that's, you know, that, that if Joseph Smith Jr.'s theology, for example, is a mix of King James Bible stuff as it was interpreted and understood within the tradition of revivalism on the American frontier, filtered through recent cultural experience of uh, the second great awakening. And then their, their, their reasoning, you know, is it's uh it's frontier reasoning. They, they reason from all these things and draw conclusions from it. They have limited access to the best current science or the best current understanding of history. They work with what they have. And so, uh, yeah, so theology is always a human product. And therefore, it's always in need of revision, uh, rethinking. We always have to go back and, and start over and think it through again, um, which is, by the way, a, a unique characteristic of reorganization, community of Christ theology, because uh, 
our, our tradition emerged partly uh, out of a sense of dissent towards uh, the many different ways that Joseph Smith's uh, theology, especially by the Nauvoo period, was <laughs> was seen as a, a major train derailment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, so we would say each of the theologians that we'll, that we'll be talking about will have drawn from these four voices. But we also, as much as we would say these things just don't get dropped down from heaven, we do believe that God can reach us can speak to us through each of these four voices. And and so each of them um, would have seen that differently. So going back to, uh, to Fred M., you know, for him, one of the voices of experience, would, which would have been his cultural context at the time, is this new social gospel movement that he would have recognized, he would have sensed as God's self-revealing in the in his time of um, helping people see more clearly the injustices that our systems were imposing upon especially the poor and those who were laborers who had no voice and with the inequity of those who already had power uh, using and abusing it uh, for their own benefit so so you know he sensed that he sensed the spirit speaking through the social gospel movement and um, and let that shape his voice and his challenge to the church. So that's the, those four voices are always there, some in greater and some in lesser degree for each individual. But um, those are those are constantly changing with our contexts too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I got, you know, our, one of our goals for this series is we want to introduce uh, hearers, <laughs> hearers and or watchers of this series to people who've had some kind of formative influence on Community of Christ. Because Community of Christ did just, we, we didn't just appear under a mushroom in, you know, the year 2000. We, we're, con- we're connected to a long stream of of development and tradition, and many different things feed into who we are. So understanding our theological past and where we've come from is uh, very, really important. And a good way to do it is to like look at the contributions of different figures, see what they had to say, what they did, what their instincts were, what they hoped for, what they were seeking, and see how that may have uh, you know fed into who we are. Mm-hmm. And so some people might say, I don't know, you might even ask the question, so why are we talking about people from 100 years ago? Well, I hate to admit it, but I was definitely thinking it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So what do they get? Why we talk about people from 100 years ago? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's because influence builds. Influence, it shifts. And sometimes it's like a snowball and it picks up more influence as it goes along. And so that's part of the reason why we wanted to to do it for that kind of a period of time is partly that. And the other reason is that it's talking earlier about these, these moments in a history, whether it's an individual's history or an organization's history where everything comes into question. And so one of those places for us was, was, you know, 
1860, when the church is trying to reorganize, you know, some have gone west and others, other small little groups everywhere. And then there's the, what will eventually be called the reorganization who are trying to pull ideas together. And there is debating and there is disagreement. And sometimes the only thing they have in common is that they all think Joseph messed up on something. They might not even met, agree on what it was he messed up on, but they, they agree that, that they need to, to, to cling together. Um, but that was a very um, important time for this ferment of ideas of the sorting of the sifting of throwing some things out and drawing some other pieces in to bring balance. So that was one time, but the next time that was, that has been super critical to the church is this time starting in the 40s and 50s, really coming into bloom in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And to, and so we wanted a little bit about what led into that. What was the church like before that, theologically? Then what happened in that 60s, 70s? And how did it propel us, really, in a com- not a completely different way? Because there's still all those themes running through. But... Um, in a, in a way we hadn't expected. Let's put it that way. Um, and that, so that's the 60s and 70s. And so we want to be able to get a, some of those voices in the 60s and 70s and 80s who started articulating and challenge, challenging where we'd been and saying, this is a new time. It doesn't work. Some of the things that we used to do, that we used to claim, that we used to be about, that's not what's needed. That's not what we're being called to. And so those sometimes very um, brave voices that took a lot of risks um, and got a lot of pushback. Another time Mm -hmm. where there was conflict. Um, And you can see that, you know, it really, the conflict becomes very visible with in the time of ordination of women in 1984 to 86-ish, but um, it had been building for a long time. And that was kind of the, the that one big mm-hmm. thing that helped us to let go of some things and to embrace some things as we went forward. So we want to look at some of the people during that time who forced, invited, drew the church into this, a new way of understanding who we are in relation to God and to each other. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair question, you know. Uh, <laughs> why why should why should we pay any attention to old dead people? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, I suppose I could ask Carla. I mean, Charmaine and I are generation older than you. Why would you talk to us? I mean, <laughs> that's an excellent point. <laughs> now that you mentioned. <laughs> Please continue. Keep going. I, I think, though, uh, you know, a, a gentle pushback on the assumption of the question is that somehow today is not connected to yesterday. And, you know, no, nobody looks at a tree and just looks at the new growth at the end of it. Right. You look at the whole tree and the the new growth is definitely connected to what what came before. And the same way in theology, it, it's 
I mean, yeah, there's lots of exciting stuff going on in theology today, and and uh, Christian thought is able is able to go places today it's never been able to go. For example, like on LGBTQIA issues. Um, but if it had not been for the rise of of the critical scientific study of the Bible in the 1800s and even earlier, we wouldn't have had the tools to enable us to get beyond that kind of uh, very literalistic use of the Bible so that was so common and still so common in so many places. So in other words, so in other words, that we're able to do things today theologically and ethically that our ancestors weren't because because of but but we, we can do it because of tools they invented. And so um, that's why that's one reason why it's really important to you know explore the theological past. We'll find our we'll find our ourselves there and we'll find our connections there. Uh, you know, recently we've been in the United States, we've been we're out, we're on the centenary of women's right to vote. And it's absolutely fascinating to go back and explore the suffrage movement and see the sacrifices. I mean, these are these are women who had this vision of what ought to be. And so uh, it's very inspiring then for women now to realize, you know, the, the kinds of things that like an Elizabeth Cady Stanton did, you know, to, to help make that a reality. So. Um, but also to recognize the kind of conflict there were between people who who all knew that they needed to move forward, but wanted to do it in different ways. And actually it ended up in, in this case for the vote for women, uh, it, requ- it really required both kinds of approaches um, to help, to help something new happen. But, but yeah, again, it's that there's these vital moments where um, our theology, we have to figure out, what is the core of our theology and what are the, what are the movable pieces? <laughs> how can, you know, it's like, well, how do we learn to accessorize for the, the new season? Right. Uh, <laughs> it's very much, yeah. I, I should, that, that's probably, well, well, it'll work. <laughs> but we need to know what is our core, you know, what, what is, what will, what will hang on to. Yeah. what's classical, what's what helps us stay connected to God. But there's a lot of pieces that have um, have new challenges before them to address. Um, I, an assignment we have our seminary students to do in our History of Christian Thought one class, which is ancient and medieval theology is it's a spiritual it's a spiritual formational practice that we have them do and that is at the start of the semester they we give them a list of, of mystics. Uh, you know, from the early and early to the high middle ages. And we asked them to pick one and then they do a kind of prayer journal Lexio Divina with that mystic throughout the, the duration of the course. It is amazing. It's amazing how many uh, of our seminary students come back and say that assignment of praying with a mystic. I mean, somebody from the 12th century or whatever, it's like, who, <laughs> I mean, Gosh, uh, they didn't even have flea collars then, Carla, and they and they really needed them, right? So, but somebody from the twelfth century whose encounter with God, while in many ways very different, the language is very different, but their encounter with God is so real and vital that across the centuries, that encounter still uh, inspires and empowers and enables twenty first century postmodern people to to seek God too. So, yeah. So there's. 
there's, you know, we, we have to, we'll have to make the case as we go. And there's going to, we're going to look at figures and we're going to say, you know, this was the best of times and this was the worst of times. So, <laughs> and that's all right. Right. So if you want to pull up the other uh, slide, we'll just kind of st- introduce people to a few of these names. There we go. So theologians to note, uh, we've already talked about Marietta Walker and Fred M. Smith, who was the president of the church, in case we didn't mention that. Um, And then in the 30s to the 70s, F. Henry Edwards, who did not have a lot of formal education in theology, but was a natural theologian. and Extraordinarily well-read. So well-read and so articulate. He, He wrote... Uh, a lot of things uh, throughout his life, some that um, that really connected with people in the early times of his writings. So in the 30s, he wrote something called Fundamentals that, <laughs> that kind of carried the old theology of the church. And, oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay. I'll bring that back. I actually was thinking, though. Uh, I read F. F. Henry Edwards once, and I was like, I don't understand anything this guy <laughs> So hard. I'm going to bring that back. Okay, good. So, I mean, his his approach spans some really critical years. So, he's he in Fundamentals, he's kind of, uh, I want to say regurgitating, there we go, the uh, the oh. old theology, the theology that had preceded him. He just was very good at articulating it. Uh, but by the end of his writing career, he he's writing more on spiritual formation. And there's nothing in there that about us being the one true church. He's drawing from all kinds of writers, uh, both in theology and in world religions, to talk about spiritual formation. And so he spans this really critical time where as a church where we're letting go of some things and we're recognizing um, that God can do something with us that, that we didn't, we didn't imagine. Do you want to say anything more about him? Just as, no, we'll, we'll, he'll, he'll be interesting to, to look at. And he's an example of how a theologian uh, changes her or his mind over time. Uh, and that that's a process of growth. It's very amazing to see in him. So yeah. And we'll do. We'll spend some time with Roy Cheville. We'll Good. do one of these on Roy Cheville, uh, who was actually formally trained. He had master and, and doctoral degrees in religion from the University of Chicago, and so uh, he he represents an actual engagement of an RLDS thinker with liberal Protestant theology from that period, from the early early twentieth century, and and he he's. He was very influential in the church uh, for that period that we have there, the 30s to the 60s. Uh, he yeah, wrote, wrote dozens of books, yeah. literally hundreds of articles, uh, a household name in the church, and very, very, uh, very much a, an articulator of faith. But he's so interesting because he, well, this is just this is just me. I think he did a little bit of Frankensteining of theology. <laughs> so he kept some things that he would have learned when he first joined the church. So some of that older theology, 
But it's really fascinating to see what are the new pieces he added in while trying not to let go of things. Um, and it's he's he's just a fascinating person to 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 do his reading because you'll see he's bringing in modern influences of science and mm-hmm. um, uh, of, of education and of like space travel, all of those kinds of things, and yet also hanging on to some of those older things that didn't necessarily seem to be compatible. But he had personally found a way to connect them, to let them coexist. And he didn't always understand how others didn't see that they they coexisted. So he's fascinating. He was um, very influential at Graceland University, which was the church's university, uh, starting in 19... Oh, gosh, uh, 1930s, actually. I mean, oh, okay. Yeah. So, but he, w- he was there for a long time at Graceland. And so he influenced the theology of people, young people who are just getting introduced to the idea of, of theology. Um, and he was a questioner. He introduced always with his students the idea they needed to question the faith that they had inherited, and which was very uncomfortable for many, many people. So he's a very intriguing character. And then he was the presiding evangelist for the church as well. So, yeah, very, very influential person. I mean, you. this is an example of where you could say um, the fact that Community of Christ today is in most, in many places, not most places, but in many places in the world, we're very open to the critical analysis of religion and theology. That's part uh, a legacy of Ray Chaville, who introduced that into church life. So then we have on this list um, some that someone that's, you know, we've, we've kind of went back and forth on whether or not he was, should be on this list. His name is Arthur Oakman. He came from England. Again, not formally trained, but like F. Henry Edwards, um, uh, widely read. And so there's the two sides of Arthur Oakman. He was an apostle in the church. He was well known for his sermons, a very influential speaker. And and he, you can see in him this this conflict between the old theology and these people he's reading, who are <laughs> who are Anglicans in the modern yes. age, yes. <laughs> and who he's quoting freely but not necessarily footnoting. Um, and so you can see this is kind of a, a surreptitious. Uh, development in the, in his own theology, but it's affecting those around him as well. Uh, he actually was someone who in the 60s and 70s, at that pivotal point when there's that conflict and, and new direction, he's he actually has some difficulty with that. Um, and those who, who were naturally having difficulties in the 70s and the 80s often harked back to him as somebody who had upheld the faith, uh, not like these new leaders who are taking us off into these unknown regions. And so we can see within him that conflict of that time of, of holding on to these things that had made God so real to him and helped him make God real to others. And, and these new things that might mean you had to let go of some things. So, 
Yeah. So with him, we'll you know it'll be interesting for us to talk about his his use of classical Christian themes. Mm-hmm. So uh, Arthur Oakman articulated very well the church's Trinitarian faith. And that was because he got help from those Anglicans. <laughs> those darn Anglicans. So with both Edwards and Oakman, uh, we'll have to talk about what we like to call the Anglican connection. So yeah. they both came from England. And so that influenced their theological thinking. So then we have the 1960s on, and I just have boom, <laughs> because this is a point at which independent of each other, people are feeling called to go to seminary to take religion classes in their state universities to start questioning. And of course, this, the 60s and 70s are a critical time in U.S. history where uh, lots of institutions are being questioned. And so that's true within the church as well. And and people are feeling called to go outside of the church to gain knowledge and insight, including church leaders who had people from St. Paul's School of Theology Methodist Seminary come and teach. So we've just named a few of the people who felt this call. Uh, Bill Russell, who's a, who's a teacher at Graceland until his retirement and beyond. Um, Harold Schneebeck, who was a young theologian. Uh, he was training at Union, Union Seminary yeah. in New York and wrote an influential book in the church in the six, in about 66, 67 that disturbed almost everybody at that reunion that summer because that, that was the textbook. And, and yet it's uh, when we were looking at books for our uh, Community of Christ Theology class, Grant McMurray, who was the president of the church at the time, suggested Harold Schneebeck's book, The Body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we have used it since. And and in that book, he's he's describing pretty well a church that would not emerge until about 40 years later. But he's he is describing and giving some groundwork for how we would talk about and see ourselves 40 years later. It's, so, it's literally, he wrote a book in 68 that's the blueprint of Community of Christ. So that's yeah. pretty important. So Sharon Welch, Howard Booth, uh, Marge Tro, Marge Tro's uh, the women's leader in the church and uh, challenged leaders and the church as a whole to deal with the question of, in a theological way, as well as in a uh, justice way, of what is women's role in the church. Bob Mesley, who is a process theologian and um, taught at Graceland. Helen Brew Pearson, who is a church member who felt this call to going to seminary and then doing her doctorate as well, who is now a a United United Church Church of Christ Christ minister, but whose, whose response to the call and articulation of that influence. Richard Howard, who's a, who's a historian, and yet uh, he he knew how to tie history and theology together, and does in his in all almost everything he touches. Though he would not necessarily call himself a theologian, he's affected the theology of the church in impressive ways. Barbara Higdon, who was a president at Graceland University, but 
uh, also taught classes on preaching and use of scripture. Um, Bruce Lindgren, another one of those who early on uh, went to seminary, and he was the church secretary for decades. For a very long time. <laughs> He's retired now. Barbara Howard, uh, who worked at Harold House, um, became a writer, but was also an editor. Again, challenging the status quo and uh, inviting people to read more broadly, understand God as something more. Jeffrey Spencer, who was a, uh, an apostle uh, from Australia and who's, I forget how many hymns are in this in the hymnal that he wrote. Um, brilliant, brilliant theological mind. And he had, he had some formal theological training too, as did Peter Judd, the next one in the list. Peter, who was in the presidency and Peter, who is still doing lots of, doing lots of writing and editing today. So, and we know we're missing all kinds of names in here. So this is not any kind of a complete list, but it's giving you a little sense of these different people who sense this call to let theology be something more than just those things you that were passed on to you and you repeated and carried on. So we, we have uh, Grant McMurray, who was the president of church, Carolyn Brock, who uh, integrated, helped the church to become more aware of spiritual formation. And the language that she brought, the practices she brought, the idea of choosing to connect with God, making doors open to be present to God and God to be present to us. It's, it's changed our way of talking and thinking in the church in ways that, that aren't measurable, but that are still present. Don Compier, who was the uh, first um, dean of the, the seminary, the Community of Christ Graceland Seminary, uh, PhD so, in theology yeah. from from Emory. He's uh, he's an Episcopalian uh, priest mm -hmm. and absolutely brilliant theologian, and was our boss and, and our colleague. So. <laughs> and Jane Gardner, who has written a lot on uh, sacraments and is the is presently the presiding uh, evangelist of the church, and who's who's. Uh, <laughs> Energy helped create the new, the new hymnal that we have, which is so full of theology mm -hmm. that calls us forward into who we can be in peace and justice, but also with that deep and solid um, center around the the nature and work of God and of Christ and of the Holy Spirit. So, a lot of people would say that we sing into our theology. That's what absolutely. That's we right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the theology in our hymns is what's calling us forward. It's the it's the theology we're wanting to make room for. So Matt, Matt Frizzell, uh, who was Dean of Community Christ Seminary, Matt is trained as a theological ethicist and currently works as the human resources director of the church. But but uh, Matt, Matt is a very uh, vigorous, the vigorous voice for contemporary theology and ethics. And then, of course, President Steve Vesey, who is himself very theologically reflective and sophisticated and uh, you can you can always hear that in his sermons i i always can hear uh, his deep theological mind at work in his sermons so. and of course you know carla long and robin linkhart those names are they're all there too and there's and that's 
that's going to be part of the hard part of this series is to to identify. But the main uh, the main goal is to say how has this person and the way that they have uh, talked about about their faith, about the purpose of the church, about who God is and what God invites us as a community to be a part of. It's how they do that that has the influence. And so that's the only thing that really needs to be connected is how does this person's uh, living of their theology and thinking about their faith uh, influence the church? So that'll be the, the two pieces. Is- and I don't think we're promising that we're going to cover absolutely oh, no. every single figure. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> because that'll take us for like, I don't know, 12 years of podcast, Carl. We're not going to do that. But but the idea is we do want to highlight some different figures. And we, we, we were talking earlier about, should we just maybe pick dead figures? Because if we start picking living figures, then the ones that we miss or don't, or don't mention will feel <laughs> left out. But we decided just to give a kind of... It's kind General of general idea. The buffet table is way bigger than what we put right. out, but that's that's a that's a sampler of it. We're assuming that that there will be ten or less people covered. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be great, and I actually really think that two names were left off of there. Two kind of important names were left off of there. Yeah, go ahead. Who, I think Charmaine and Tony Chappelle. Oh, no, <laughs> um, no, it's. You, but we're both the theologians and residents for Community of Christ for years. So I'm going to say that perhaps you might have an important voice in Community Christ theology. I mean, call me crazy. but <laughs> Well, I think probably we're looking at it as historians would, and to say sometimes you have to wait, you know, a decade or two after they're not around anymore right, right. to see whether or not they had any lasting influence. You know, so. you, to, to, right, quote, right. Yeah, to, to quote, Mon, to quote a, a, a lovely Monty Python line, you, you can't do us because we're not dead yet. <laughs> but most of the people in the bottom part of the list weren't either. So, <laughs> well, I just, I, I feel like I need to throw those in there. Maybe I can interview someone else about you two. Oh, why don't you inter? Why don't you, you could maybe interview yourself about us. That could be interesting. Are you sure you want that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure it would be entertaining. (laughs) Oh, it would. (laughs) Um, Well, this actually, the list sounds really exciting to me. And just, I, you know, these are all names that I've heard before, of course. And I know a lot about a lot of these people, but I don't think I know what their contribution to community Christ theology was necessarily. I, you know, like I said, I've read fundamentals by F Henry Edwards, but I don't think I understood half of it or a quarter of it It was deep, deep stuff. And so I'm really curious to like, maybe have that overview of what F Henry Edwards offered us and so on and so forth. And Arthur Oakman, I think that somebody had a record of his sermons at one point. Like I think I saw a record. I think it was Richard Betts. Richard, if you're listening to this, you're welcome. Uh, He had a record of Arthur Oakman's sermons. I was just like, where in the world did you get this? Uh I'm curious about how they, you know, how they formed and shaped us as a people. And I always say we stand on the shoulders of giants and these are the giants that we're standing on. The giant shoulders that we're standing on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's very, very important. And it's also, you know, uh, in Christian doctrine, there's this idea of the communio sanctum, the communion of saints. 
And traditionally, that's that's a reference to both the 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 the, the church as it is and the church in, the church in heaven. That is all who've gone before us, uh, together with us, make up the church. It's not just the living who make up the church. And so I think that's a a way to think about all of this. Um, that we are we are in communion with people who've gone before us, and so they still matter. They still they're still impacting us in ways that we know and ways we don't know. Right, and even if we don't necessarily agree with everything that they said, they said some things at a really important time that then influenced other things that needed to be thought or said or be attuned to that that the spirit was drawing us towards. Yeah. So. Well, I'm excited. We are too. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, is there anything else that we need to know before we, you know, jump into the series next time? Some, not for next time. Sometimes we, there are some of these figures we may be able to recommend a book or two on when we are getting ready to do them. But for next time, we'll, we're going to explore Marietta Walker and Fred M. Smith a little more closely as, as contributors to community of Christ's theological development. So that'll be our theme for next time. Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.